If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to take them out. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 6 as we continue our series from the book of Acts. That's where we're going to look this morning for a few moments. Acts chapter 6 records a crucial moment in the development of the first century church. And uh, it's a moment that when we look there in just a second, you'll see it's a moment that uh, it begins as a crisis, but it actually becomes a catalyst for exponential growth. Uh, in the early church. Aren't you glad that God is able to turn our situations around? Can you say amen? That the problem, listen, the problem that you face today, how many knows the problem that you're looking at this morning, uh, it may be the experience that will propel you into a better tomorrow. Amen? God has something better for you tomorrow, but you know, sometimes it presents itself as a problem that you're experiencing uh, today. And so I feel like I've got a word uh, for somebody this morning that maybe you're facing a problem today, maybe you're in the middle of some, some kind of difficulty, adversity, and uh, the Lord just wants you to know that whatever you're, the problem that you're facing today is going to lead to a brighter future, a better future for you uh, tomorrow. And so I want to encourage you with uh, that uh, encourage you with that this morning. So Acts chapter six, let me mention a couple of quick things uh, that are not in your bulletin and so that I want you to be aware of. Uh, Wednesday night, our fine arts group, they're preparing to go to uh, Anaheim. Uh, next, uh, next Sunday, they'll be leaving to go to Anaheim. So Wednesday night, our fine arts ministry team will be presenting their uh, presentations here Wednesday night, uh, this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. So we want you to be aware of that. That um, was not in the bulletin. And then because of that, the next Ladies uh, Alive Empowerment class has been postponed then to Sunday, uh, next Sunday, August the 6th at 9.30 a.m. So we wanted our ladies that are participating in that class to be aware of that. But let's look this morning at Acts chapter 6 beginning in verse number 1. Now in, those, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the apostles, the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for calling us to be disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for adopting us as sons and as daughters so God, we pray that you'd give us the grace and the power that we need to be successful because we understand, God, that we, we cannot do anything without your help. We cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. 
And so, God, we pray for great grace, for great power, Lord, in our lives that we might accomplish all that you desire for us to do. God, we pray that you would teach us, teach us, Lord, to devote ourselves to those things that matter most. Then, Lord, that we would trust in you for the solutions to our problems. God, for your glory, we pray that you would turn division into multiplication. That, God, you would turn, that you would convert obstacles in our life, that you would convert them into opportunities, God, before us. And that, Lord, you would transform, uh, transform our uh, adversity and transform it, God, into advantage. God, we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Uh, how many knows at this point in the book of Acts, the church had already faced external threats? Uh, they had already faced external threats, and they had, they had overcome those threats by the power of God, and they had overcome those external threats to this point by doing what? By coming together. By, by coming together. You remember that after Peter and John had been threatened by the council, what did they do? The council had commanded Peter and John, said, don't teach anymore, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, and they threatened them, and then they sent them away. And Peter and John returned to the church, and they came together. The church came together, and they prayed for boldness. You remember that uh, in Acts chapter 4? And once they had prayed, remember what happened? It said the Holy Spirit came upon them, descended upon them. The place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached the Word of God with boldness. And the church grew and increased uh, because of their preaching of the word. And so they faced that first external threat by coming together and praying, and God helped them. The church continued uh, to grow. Then Peter and John, remember, after they had preached again uh, in uh, opposition to the council, the council arrested them, brought them back in. And then after Peter and John had been beaten by the council for disregarding their prohibition, the Bible says that they rejoiced, Peter and John rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Jesus Christ. And the Bible records that the church continued to meet together, to come together in the, in the temple and from house to house. And because they came together and they continued in the work of the Lord, the Lord blessed them and the church continued to grow, the church increased. So the church had faced external threats already. They had overcome those threats by coming together and by prayer. Satan could not succeed with a direct attack against the church. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Can I get an amen this one? So Satan could not succeed with a direct attack attack against the church therefore he attempted an inside job and chapter 6 introduces us to the first internal conflict that the first century church faced in this case it was it was a dispute about the disbursement of assistance that the church gave to the widows uh, who were in their care. Specifically, the Bible says that the, the Greek-speaking uh, Jews, those 
Jewish believers in Jesus Christ that were a part of the church at that point that uh, they began to complain and they alleged that their widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish uh, widows, they alleged that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And that caused, the Bible says, a complaint to arise between them, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. The unity of the church, uh, the unity that the church had enjoyed up to this point, they had come together, faced external threats by coming together and praying with one another. That unity that they had enjoyed up to this point now was in jeopardy. The unity, the togetherness that they had always had was now in jeopardy because the Greek-speaking Jews that were Christians began to murmur and complain against the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there was a controversy. There was some division in the church. And so their unity was jeopardized. And listen, unity is organizational energy. When When you have When you have unity together, then everything functions effectively and everything functions efficiently. Amen? Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It says it is like the precious oil, that anointing oil that is on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his his robe. Unity brings that kind of anointing in the ministry of the body of Christ. Psalm 133 continues and says, It, unity is, is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Unity is organizational energy. It's the anointing. It's what causes growth. It's what, it, what causes the, the free moving of the Holy Spirit. And the early church, the first century church up to this point, had enjoyed that kind of unity, that, that ability to come together and face every external threat. And because of that, every external threat had not succeeded, but in fact, the church had continued to grow because why? They came together and they prayed and they sought God. And God commanded his blessing to the church because they had come together in unity and prayed. So when you have unity, everything functions efficiently, everything functions effectively. But listen, when you don't have unity, friction causes systems to begin to break down. Uh, When you don't have unity, connections begin to break apart and the organization begins to lose its momentum. And the external attacks that had been leveled against the church to that point had not succeeded because they had actually brought the church together and had cemented them in a greater bond of unity with one another. So those external attacks had not succeeded they had actually increased the church's anointing and had actually increased the rate of growth that the church had enjoyed up to that point but now this internal conflict threatened to undo 
All of that threatened to undo their unity and it threatened to divide the church and thereby reduce its power and uh, hinder its growth and impede its, its progress. So this internal controversy threatened the unity that the church had enjoyed up to that point. And before, before we unpack this uh, entire controversy and we discover uh, how this crisis, what was a crisis in the early church, this internal crisis, how it actually served as a catalyst that brought more growth, increased growth, more people coming into the kingdom of God. I, I want to make just a, a couple of observations uh, about the church uh, to this point. You know, it's, how many knows it's easy to be a critic, isn't it? It's easy to be a critic. I, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin that, that once said, uh, any fool can criticize and condemn, and most, most fools do. And listen, although that sounds harsh, listen, here's his point. His point is that it's easy to find fault and criticizing and complaining about others. How many knows that doesn't necessarily make, doesn't mean that you are intelligent or that you are helpful. And listen, the church, and I'm not talking just specifically about glad tidings, I'm talking about the church in general, the first century church, the 21st century church. The church has many critics. Most, most of them are on the outside of the church. We know that, don't we? Most of the critics are on the outside of the church. And listen, most of them attack the church from the outside, and we have God's word that they will never, never, never succeed. Can you say amen? They'll never succeed from the outside. But there are a few uh, on the inside who attempt uh, to get a hearing for themselves by criticizing and complaining against the body of Christ. And I just want to say to you this morning, be, be wary. Be very wary of negative voices outside of the church and inside of the body of Christ. Be, be wary of negative voices. How many, the church is not perfect. No church is perfect. There is no perfect church, amen? And that's mostly because it's filled with people like me and like you, <laughs> And we're not perfect people. Uh, uh, if that doesn't apply to you, then I'm sorry. It applies to most of us, all right? Uh, so there is no perfect church. The church has its problems. The church uh, has difficulties. The church is comprised of imperfect people. Therefore, it will be imperfect. It will have its flaws. It will make mistakes. However, the church, and again, I'm talking big picture now, body of Christ. How many knows the church is the body of Christ? And, and no man, no woman can say that he is in Christ and hate his body. I mean, no, it's just not possible. It's not possible to say, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate his body. I don't, I don't like the church. That's, it's, not, it's not possible. So nobody can say that he is... Uh, in Christ and yet hate the body of Christ. Moreover, how many knows Jesus loves the church? I said Jesus loves the church. <laughs> uh, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself for the church. We are his bride and those who attack the church, those who 
uh, criticize the church, those who condemn the church, uh, those individuals should consider that they are touching the apple of God's eye, aren't they? So those that criticize and condemn the church who get for themselves a hearing by criticizing and condemning the church ought to be on guard and recognize that Jesus loves uh, the church. The church should not, I'm not saying this morning that the church should be exempt from criticism, but that those who do complain should do so in the fear, in the fear of the Lord and, and not in a, in a spirit of pride or out of a selfish motive, should they? You know, I remember how disturbed um, I used to feel when uh, Jimmy Swaggart uh, criticized other preachers or other churches or other denominations. I was just sharing with, that with somebody this morning. How you know I loved Jimmy Swaggart. My first year of Bible college was at Jimmy Swaggart's Bible college. Y'all know that. And uh, in fact, when I was young, I went to his one of his, his couple of his crusades and told my mom after the Lord had called me into the ministry. I said, if he ever starts a Bible college, I'm going to go to his Bible college. Sure enough, he did. The year before I graduated, I went to Jimmy Swaggart's Bible college that next year. So I loved Jimmy Swaggart. I used to I loved hearing him preach. But the, it was the year that I was there that all of that mess, all of that stuff hit and uh, and I remember that before it became apparent you know he would get into the pulpit and he would harangue other pastors and other preachers and other churches and other denominations and other ministries and I remember how disturbed it used to make me feel when he would criticize other preachers and listen the crowds loved it um, you know he would say something uh, negative and and they would clap their hands and they would shout amen and uh, they loved it, but it just, it just didn't feel right that he was criticizing uh, the body of Christ in, in that way. How many knows that if you're receiving affirmation for saying something negative, then how many knows that says something about your spirit? It says something about you when people pat you on the back and agree with you when you're criticizing somebody else and complaining uh, about some someone else and so um, I remember how that used to make me feel the first century church how many knows at this point they're in their uh, ministry this early in their history how many knows the first century church was doing a whole lot of things right weren't they I mean they were growing exponentially thousands of people were coming into the kingdom of God the Bible says they were experiencing Many signs and wonders, miraculous things were taking place because of their, their ministry. People were being saved, people were being healed, people were being delivered. They were, they were ministering to the needs of the people, they were ministering to the needs of widows. How many knows there were, there were many more positive things happening in the church than negative things? Much more positive things that were taking place in the church than negative things. But listen, but the church is always a target. The church, the body of Christ, is always Satan's target. And if Satan cannot succeed with external attacks, and he never will, then he will try an inside job. And listen, that's the way it is for a lot of that's the way it is for Christians as well. 
Uh, Satan cannot, usually cannot succeed against a Christian with an external attack. That's why it usually starts as an internal job. Some compromise, something that begins to take place in your own heart, in your own, own mind. And that's why it's important for us that we must, we must always be on our guard. Because Satan will always attack the church. Satan will always attack uh, God's people. But how did the conflict arise in the first place in the church? Well, the conflict arose in the church because it was caused by the competition of, of personal expectations. The Hellenists were uh, upset because their expectations of what uh, their widows should be receiving was not met by the church. Apparently, the church made a daily uh, made daily provision for the physical needs of widows who had no family to care for them. And from uh, the evidence that we can gather in the rest of the New Testament, we, we understand that the church provided food and provided shelter and provided clothes for these women. Uh, but what it seems is at stake here is the daily allotment of food uh, to the widows. And the Greek-speaking Jews complained that their widows were being neglected, that the Hebrew-speaking widows were receiving more food, that they were receiving preferential treatment, better treatment than their Jews. And, and we're not really told whether this was actually the case uh, or not. Um, it may have only been a perception on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews, but it didn't matter. It had created a controversy in the church it had created conflict inside of the church, and it had become a problem uh, for the body of Christ. In fact, James, who was one of the apostles that had to help resolve this issue, James wrote several years later in his epistle, and he says, What causes conflicts? What causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from the passions that are at war within you? You crave what you do not have. And so he says, and so you, you fight and you quarrel with one another. Most internal conflicts are the consequence of our own personal desires and the complaint that those expectations, those desires are not being met as we expect them uh, to. For instance, the church is too hot, the church is too cold, the church is too big, the church is too small, the church sings too much, or the church sings not enough, there's not enough emotion, or it's too emotional, the church doesn't sing any hymns, or it sings too many hymns, or the preacher preaches too long, or not long enough. Why did y'all just get vocal on that one? Amen. They don't use the church, the preacher doesn't use the KJV, or that's the only version that they use. They have too many ministries for other people. They give too much to missions, not enough to missions. They have too many things going on over here, not enough things going over here. And we could go on and on and on. Um, you know, I have, I have a long list of the sort of things that I've heard people complain about before. I'm sure Dr. Kelly probably has a much, much, much longer uh, list as well. But listen, but here's my, my point is not this morning, actually. My point is not to complain about the complainers, uh, although uh, that's what it might sound like, because some of the complaints might have substance. 
The, the complaint that the Greek Christians were making, it might have been a complaint that had substance. We, we don't know. We don't know if it was just their perception, if it was actually a problem. Uh, we, we're not sure whether it had substance uh, or, or not. But what I want to illustrate is, is how our own personal desires that those are things that Satan uses sometimes to exploit and cause problems, in not only in the church, but in our own life as well, because it's our own personal expectations that creates conflict and quarrels inside of us, too. When we're not happy, we're not satisfied, it's because we've got some desire, some want, some expectation that has gone unmet. And so we're saying, you know, God, I don't understand, why don't you do this? For me. Why don't, I don't understand why this need is unmet. I don't understand why you don't do this for me. And so much of the conflict and quarrels that we have internal to ourselves, not just in church, but even internal to ourselves, Satan uses those personal desires to, he exploits those desires and he uses them to create problems in our lives. And and the point this morning is that we need to be aware of that. We, we need to be aware of that as a church, that you know, it's not all about me. It's not about my personal desires or wants, but it's about the body of Christ. It's about serving the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us. Amen? Amen. But, but personally, I need to be aware of that as well, that it's not all about me. It's not about what I want. It's, what, it's about what God wants for me. It's what God wants from me. And it's my own personal wants and desires that if I allow Satan to, he can exploit those desires and use them to cause me to become unhappy, unsatisfied in, in my relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And so my point this morning is to make us aware of how the devil uses, uses our own personal desires to create conflict either internally in ourselves or with other people as well. So we need to be aware of that and constantly on our guard against it. But again, the point was not whether or not it was a, a real problem or just a perceived problem. The apostles recognized that they needed to deal with the problem. Whether it was, a, whether it was perception, whether it was expectation, whether it was reality, whatever it was, the disciples realized what? Hey, we need to deal with this problem. We need, we need to handle uh, this problem. And so they confronted the issue and they, they determined we're going to resolve this conflict because we're not going to allow Satan to use this to compromise what God desires for us to do. So the apostles confronted the issue. They determined to deal with the problem and to resolve the conflict. And so listen to me this morning. You will never solve any problem in your life uh, you will never solve any problem in your relationship with God, in your marriage, or wherever it's at. You will never solve any problem that you refuse to confront. You've got to be willing to say, there's a problem. And it may just be me, but there's a problem, and, and I need to deal with this problem. I need to address this problem. And so the apostles called the entire church together to address the problem. And that's when they came up with a remarkable solution. Here's the apostles' solution to the problem that they were facing. They determined that they needed to do less. That was their solution. 
Say, guys, we looked at this problem, we recognize it is an issue, it is a problem, and so here's the solution. The solution is for us to do less, uh, not to do as much as we're currently. How many knows that was probably not what the people were expecting to hear? (laughs) They wanted to know the apostles were going to do something about this problem, fix uh, this problem. So they probably were not expecting the apostles to say, hey, Uh, The solution to this problem is for us to do less. They wanted them to do more, not do less. But the apostles realized that, listen, what had happened was that they realized that they had become distracted by trying to do too much. That they themselves, the apostles, had become distracted by trying to do too much. Therefore, they, the, the apostles had become overworked, overwhelmed, overloaded, overcommitted. And I want to ask you this morning, does that, does that sound familiar to you? That probably, here's what I think this morning, I think that probably describes some of you this morning. You've become, you've become too busy doing too many things to please too many people, and it's a problem. And it's a problem. The apostles understood, y'all got quiet all of a sudden. The apostles understood that part of the problem that the church faced was not that the number of people had uh, increased. Therefore, the, uh, the needs of the people had increased. Uh, they, they understood that. They understood that the problem was that they were trying to meet all of those needs by themselves. They were trying to do everything. They were still preaching every day. They were still ministering in the temple and from house to house. They were trying to serve all of the widows themselves, meet all of the other needs of a growing church. And listen, this was a crucial revelation that God gave to the apostles, that they didn't need to do more, that they needed to do less. And that they themselves needed to unplug from some of the expectations that others had placed upon them. Listen, not to mention the demands that they had placed upon themselves, things that they had accepted themselves to do. They said, they said to the church, this isn't right. Here's what we should be doing. We need to give ourselves to prayer and to the Word. We need to do less. And because the apostles had become too busy, their priorities had become misplaced, resources were being mismanaged, gifts were being misused or unused, and, and nobody was satisfied and nobody was happy. And sometimes, here's, I think, a word for somebody this morning. Sometimes the way to get more is to do less. And the disciples realized, uh, or the the apostles realized that they had to stop doing everything and devote themselves to the important things. And and I I think that, listen, I know that's a word to me this morning. I know because the Lord's been speaking to me through this passage as well. But what I want to do this morning is, is, is translate it, communicate it to you. And I think that that may be a, a, a word uh, to you, for somebody this morning, that the way to get more is to do less. Stop trying to do everything 
and focus on the important things. Devote yourself to the things that really matter in life, and that may solve some of the problems that you're having. So that's a word that somebody needs to hear this morning. The solution to your problem, the problem that you face, is not to try to do more, but actually to do less and realize, hey, you know, it's my own personal desires that are leading me in this direction. It's the expectations that somebody else has placed upon me that's doing this uh, in my life. And the answer to this problem, the solution to this problem, is not to try to do more. I'm already doing too much. I'm overwhelmed and overworked. And, and uh, I cannot, I don't have the right priorities. Everything's sideways in my life because I'm trying to make everybody happy, do everything in my life. And so the solution is not to do more. The solution is to do less. Unplug. Stop trying to do everything that you think you ought to do. Stop doing everything that you think you want to do and instead devote yourselves to the important things that God wants you to do, that God expects you to do. This was a um, crucial revelation for the apostles in Acts chapter 6, um, that they realized, hey, we've got to stop trying to do it all ourselves can't do it and we're not doing it well so we've got to stop trying to do everything in fact at this point in the early church there was only two classifications of people in the church there were the apostles and then there were the rest of the disciples there was there was apparently no other level of leadership in the church at this point and here's how important this decision was for the apostles and for the church this decision to stop doing what they could not do allowed others to begin to do what they were gifted to do. It, it allowed for a whole nother level of leadership in the church. It, it allowed a level of leadership in the church to emerge the deacons that then came alongside and said the things that these apostles cannot do and should not do, these are things that we can do God has gifted us to do them. And so then they stepped in and began to do those things. And what happened? The church, the Bible says what? They increased in number. So, so what was a crisis at the beginning, what was a problem in the beginning, how many knows that crisis, that problem, it actually became a catalyst for the church to... to allow a whole other level of leadership to emerge in the church, and that actually caused exponential growth and blessing in the church. But it wasn't until the apostles said, I've got to, we've got to stop trying to do everything, and we've got to unplug from, and we've got to focus on the essential things, the things that we know that we can do and, and should do. In fact, um, it, was, it was only when the apostles were willing to step down that the disciples were able to step up. You see that? It was only when they were willing to step down that the disciples could step up and so that God could, could use them. And listen, that's a message for the church. It's a lesson for us uh, this morning is that God has given you gifts and abilities. Amen? And God desires to use those in the kingdom of God. It's not just it's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not just Pastor Belinda's or Pastor Tim's or Pastor Patrick's responsibilities. All of us, we have to step up. Amen? Amen. And allow God to use us 
so that God's kingdom can be, uh, can be built. So it's a message for the church that we need to step up and use the gifts and the abilities that, that God has given to us for the sake of the body of Christ and the church. Um, but it's also a message to each one of us this morning. That when we're overwhelmed and we're overworked and we're unhappy because we're so busy doing so many things and it doesn't seem like anything's going well and you're facing problems in your life, sometimes what you need to do is you need to say, you know, I can't and I shouldn't be doing everything to try to make everybody happy or just to try to please my own self and do the things I think I want to do. I need to give some of that stuff up and I need to devote myself to the important things. Focus on the things that really matter and, and allow God to help me with the other things. You see, it's only when you admit your need and you ask for help that you can expect to receive help. Amen? It's only when you say, I can't do it, God. <laughs> I, I can't do all of this, God. I can't, I'm, not making, I'm not doing it very well anyway, and I can't do it all very well uh, by myself, I'm overwhelmed, and God, I need, I've got problems, I need help. It's only when you're willing to admit that you need help that God is able to give you the help that you need. Amen? And I, and I feel like that there's maybe somebody this morning that you need to hear that word for, uh, for this morning. Maybe you're facing some problems in your life, and God wants you to see, and God wants you to know that, listen, those problems... Those, that crisis that you're facing, it, it's actually something that he's put there. It's a, something that God can use in your life as a catalyst for a better future that God has for you. But you've got to be willing to say, God, uh, I, I want to see you come in and take control of my life. And so I, that means I've got to take hands off. And I've got to stop trying to please my own self, do things that I think I ought to do, things that I want to do, and trust, God, in your ability to help me, give me the grace uh, that I need. So the, the problems that you're given are given to you for a reason. The problems that you're facing are, can be, should be stepping stones that you can use to achieve a better future if you're willing to trust God with those problems, if you'll stop trying to do everything yourself, if you'll give up, and if you'll devote yourself to the important things, and then if you'll ask God for help, how many knows God is able and God is willing? Amen.